Well, it's true that Jamie is out uh, this weekend, so Mountain Valley Cactus, our venue and our chapel, if you're joining us, uh, close the doors right now. I can see you guys there uh, in our various venues. Uh, Jamie did one of my jobs uh, here at the church is, is uh, always have a sermon ready, Jamie says, and nobody really thinks you have to, and then I, I got a call from Kim yesterday morning. She said, you're on. Jamie's not well. I'm like, I'm on. What, what does that mean? And um, so I, I do follow along. I'm kind of bummed along with you all in one sense, and that is I'm really enjoying the series uh, on Seeds of Doubt. I'm really enjoying what Jamie is talking about, and I'm anticipating what he's going to say, this, uh, what I'm going to say this morning. And so I've been thinking about it this week, and he is going to talk about this idea of ignorance, not knowing, and how that is a seed of doubt when it comes to our faith. He's already talked about um, the idea of legalism. Remember a few weeks ago how when rules, which are actually good, the Bible has principles that govern how we live our lives in a, in a covenant relationship to him. And when we follow those principles, it's actually a good thing. It's actually called obedience. But when those rules that are designed to affect relationship and community in a positive way, when they trump our relationship, when all of a sudden we're trying to live by those rules in our own strength, thinking that we might earn something or because we feel guilty, when those rules trump the relationship, we have legalism. And legalism is exhausting. Trying to follow a rule gets very tiring and it leads to doubt in big ways. It affects our faith in a large way. Last week, Jamie talked about pride and how that keeps us from following God wholeheartedly. How Jesus declared in John chapter 5 that he just wasn't God's son, but he was God. He was actually God, and that was scandalous because the people believed in God but didn't want to admit that Jesus was him. Jamie, Jamie talked about unbroken communion that Jesus had with God added to this unvarying resemblance of the Father equaled the sameness of nature. And that if Jesus was God, then the inferences are huge, aren't they? The words that he is saying out of his mouth are the words that are from God, and people need to take note, and they need to listen. But they didn't like it. And why we doubt is because something we struggle with today, they struggle with back then. If we didn't invent it, and it has little to do with us, we tend not to want to believe it. And you can see how pride comes in and affects our faith. And Jamie exhorted us to examine the words of Christ, the truths of the word of God, and to believe. Jesus' words in John 5, 24, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Doubt. Has it affected your faith lately? Where are you on that faith journey? If you take your outlines on there and you turn to the back, that's my outline, it's blank. And uh, follow along closely as we talk about a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about seeds of doubt, but I, I'm not going to camp in John as Jamie is, and he's going to come back to that. But I do want to go to the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bible with you, it's not on your outline, but it will be in the screen behind me as we read and and uh, soak a little bit in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and to think a little bit about this idea of, do we really understand why we're here this morning? Do we understand what, what brought you here this morning? We are the church, aren't we? 
And I got to tell you, it's been great seeing the, everybody come back. Uh, I was enjoying the summer. I enjoyed driving down the road and actually having a lane to drive in. And, and then school went back and happens every year, but you, you kind of forget about it. And like traffic just like tripled. And I find things coming out of me that I don't really like very much. It's getting busy, isn't it? And this is a time of year where you fasten your seatbelts because we know where it's going. School's back in session, and we're just ramping up. We're going to need a break right around Thanksgiving, aren't we? And Thanksgiving and all of our holidays are really designed to, at least in our culture, not only to acknowledge what we're thankful for, but to kind of give us a break. Everybody's looking forward to Thanksgiving break. Why? So we can hurry up and get busier, right? Because Black Friday's coming right the very next day. It's going to be, and we know that's the gateway to Christmas, and Christmas is here. My wife was at the store yesterday. She saw things out for Christmas 2016. I mean, they're so far ahead. And some people are listening out there, but it gets busy. And in our culture, the very things that we put in place to actually unite people, bring families together, to kind of take a step back and rest, seems like it's everything but that, isn't it? And boy, we need the church to rest. And yet sometimes I look at our church and I see how frantic we are as a church. I mean, do you see the video that Rustin did out there? That was really inappropriate, uh, the way he goes around. No, but you see how busy we are. We're in the midst of, uh, yeah, that's Rustin. We're in the midst of Compelled by Grace. I'm camping at the, at the worship center, and it's busy. Lots of expectation from us in and, and a church when it's supposed to be a place of rest and refuge, of hope and healing, can often be a place that's divided and political, can often be a place where it's anything but rest. Do you know why you came here this morning? Do you know why you're here? And if we don't know why we're here, that can lead to seeds of doubt when it comes to our faith. You know, uh, uh, some people, you know, Paul in his letter here, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, again, the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4, Paul's going to talk about the church. He's going to talk about how we have the power of being one church. We're one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're one God. We are one body. It is an awesome Amazing thing that we're gathered here as a body of Christ today. He's going to celebrate the power of many. You are all looking different today. That's a good thing. God has given you different abilities. He's given you spiritual gifts that when you play your role, when you take part in your part of the body of Christ, the power of many becomes the power of a healthy church. And Paul's going to acknowledge that in these first 16 verses. The power of a healthy church where you're no longer infants but you are one body, undergirded with the power component of God's unconditional agape love. And in verse 17, Paul's going to grab that theme of who we are as the church, asking, do we know, do we understand? And he's going to get very specific, kind of where the rubber meets the road moment. And so if you've found Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to follow along as we look at verses 17 to 19 in Ephesians 4. Paul says this, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the, and there's our word, ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul goes on in verse 19, he says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is what was going on back in Ephesus. Do you remember the saying, when in Rome, finish that. When in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? What is that about? We think that phrase is actually a good thing. 
It's an encouragement to conform with society. Wherever you are, do your best to blend in. You know, it was a saying that was uttered and became popular shortly after the time of Christ. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he confronted them on that very issue. They had a, a saying that was similar when in Rome. They, they had a saying that said, all things are lawful. Do you remember that, 1 Corinthians 6, 12? We're not breaking the law. Everybody else is doing it. We want to be like the people in Rome. We want to blend in. And Paul confronted that saying with a, a new thought. He said, yeah, you know, in your culture, all things are possible. He said, but you know what? Not all things are profitable just because everybody's doing it. And he said, not all things may be lawful, but I will be, what does he say, mastered by none of those things. See, Paul's talking about a new way. The idea of going along with the crowd sounds so good. But trust me, with no rudder guiding your life, with no compass, no anchor, it just leads to chaos, Futility, as Paul said, and certainly to doubt when it comes to your faith. See, what Paul's saying is conforming to the way of the world is actually a fatal blow to your walk with Christ. See, once people were called out as the church to follow Christ, there was a new way, a new way of living. It was the same then, and it's the same today. We are called to be followers of Christ, disciples, followers, and then we're called to make disciple-making disciples, it's to perpetuate over and over, powered by the Holy Spirit, infused it with God being with us. Jesus said in John 17 in his great priestly prayer, they're in the world, but they're not of it. And so here's the main point I want you to take away today, and it's this. And I know it's kind of long on, the, on your blank. It's not just blanks of feeling. You've got to write the whole thing out, so I'll wait. He says this, basically the main point I want you to leave is knowing the calling that we've got, not being ignorant, but knowing why we're here and knowing the calling we've been given and the boundaries, those principles that guide us, we're going to talk about that, that we operate within, are going to enable us to live in confidence and allow our lives to be the light that God intended. Do you know why you're here? Do you know this whole idea of the church? And so if we are called out to be disciples, then there are some inferences there we need to understand. First one is this, do you know your calling? Do you know what your calling is or why you're here? Uh, let me give you an example. We have, in the fall, elections coming up, right? And I hope, based on Daryl's message uh, last month or this summer, that you're going to vote. I'm going to vote for the first time because I just became an American citizen last fall. Isn't that an amazing thing? You can clap for that, yeah. Is that a good thing? So I'm going to vote. I love this country. It was complicated, you know, trying to get into I had to marry an American. I had to prove that. And finally, I get to do it. But, but elections, I always love to ask people, who did you vote for? And everybody gets offended at that, right? You, you, oh, whoa, that's like, you know, so uh, on the count of three, who did you know? Um, I ask people who they voted. And the reason I do that is I want to figure out, well, did they know? And sometimes I want to know who you, why you voted for that person because I want to not be ignorant in all of that. And it's amazing to me when people are willing to share the things that they will come up with. Um, many people said, I voted for so-and-so because my friends were voting for that person. Not bad if your friends are voting for the right person, I guess. Uh, some people said, well, um, I, I'm all about change because change is one of those things in politics. It's a great platform. Change. And I ask them, they, they don't know what their change is all about. They can't articulate it, but change sounds good. And so I voted for that person to change. Literally, uh, I had one person who said, I loved the sign that that gal had on the street you know, over there. It was really pretty. It was red. It had an American flag on it. said, vote for me. And I thought, 
Why not? You got a nice sign. I'm not kidding. Literally, I said to one person, who'd you vote for and why? And they said, I like the sound of his name. You know, and it was like, whoa, you know. But we, we really do many things in our lives. We make decisions based on ignorance. And you know, the scary thing for me is I wonder if that's affected us when it comes to the church. We get all thinking, oh, well, you got to know who you're voting for. But do you know why you're here? Do you know what the purpose of the church is? I ask people that question all the time. As a pastor, why, what brought you to Scottsdale Bible Church? I had people between services telling me what brought them here. And I hear people say things like, my friends come here. That's not a, a bad thing. That's a good thing. We should be inviting people to this church. I hope we're an inviting church. We have a cool cafe. I, I can't wait to hear people come and say, we have great coffee here. I, I come, I like this. I like the music. I like this or that. But do most of us truly understand why we come and what this is all about? I think Paul captures it here in the passage we're looking at in Ephesians. He describes God's followers at the beginning of this letter as holy people. You're chosen. You are adopted. You are called by God. That's a good thing. We are part of his family. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, the passage we're looking at here, says, therefore live it. Or when Paul quotes Daryl Dow, who say, walk worthy of your call. No, I think Daryl was quoting Paul. I can never get those right. But walk worthy of the calling that you've been given. And then in these verses, 17 to the end of this chapter, he's gonna get very specific about living in a new way. We are called out to live holy lives. Not just because morality is good in and of itself, which it is, or not just because it promotes well-being and general health and mental health, which it does, living a holy life, and not just because a pastor told me or the church expects it, which, which we do, but here's why we live holy lives. It's always, it always comes back to this one thing, what God has done. We need to preach that week in and week out, that the motivation for our behavior is never because I feel guilty and, and I, I'm afraid of being punished. The motivation for our holiness is never I'm going to earn something with, with, and for God. It's always, always a response to what God has done. See, if you and I truly believe what this Bible has to say, we're not going to have a problem with the requirements that God or Jesus puts on us at all, will we? Let me think of, give you a litmus test on that in, in terms of how you're doing here. Think about what we're called to, to live a righteous and holy life. Perfect. That's kind of hard, isn't it? In fact, some might say that's kind of narrow. And, and, and let me ask you, if you're getting this, or the litmus test as to whether or not you're beginning to understand is this. Do you fight against that? Do you find yourself thinking about this holy life and longing for another life? Do you look at your friends who've rejected God, who seem to be making a, a bucket full of cash, who seem to have success, and do you find yourself being drawn to that, thinking, oh, this is just so hard, or I want to have this kind of end that? That's not the deal that God says in the Bible. It's my way all the way, all the time. That's kind of hard. Do you find yourself drawn away from the calling that we have? I fight that, and, and, and we all fight that. But I wonder why we fight that. And I think it's because of a couple of things, that we really don't or we have a wrong biblical worldview. And so we need to deconstruct what is it, what's the wrong belief that I'm holding to? Or is it a real belief? And what's the right belief that I need to replace that with? Understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. See, I believe that if you 
have encountered the living God through the pages of this scripture and you begin to practice those principles that God has for your life, it's not a perfect science, it's learned behavior. We learn that. We begin to experience something as we encounter a living God and that thing is change. We begin to change when we get into this word of God. You don't look at the Bible and say, "Mm, I like these principles, but I don't like those. It's not a menu. You begin to ask like the early followers of God, how much more can I do? Your commands, they're not burdensome for me. Your laws, your rules, give me more. The the ancient followers would ask God to hold their hearts to a trial till they soaked everything they could out of that trial. That's when we encounter a living God, our desire for holy lives blossoms because we've encountered him. Another thing that helps us live our holy lives or a response to that is knowing where we would be apart from Christ. You ever thought about that? You know, if God could put a a picture up on on the screen there and show you what your life would be like if you had no relationship to Christ, I, I think apart from being mildly horrifying, it would be motivating to realize that is what God rescued me from. And if we all saw that picture and we all truly grasped it, I believe we'd be all flat on our faces here this morning, understanding, whoa, what did God rescue me from? Encountering a living God and knowing what we've been rescuing from are the motivators to living this called out life that Paul calls us to. Knowing your calling and then knowing what you're up against. In verses 18 and 19 there, Paul talks about the world system that was there. He described those people as futile in their thinking, futility in their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. Paul said they're alienated or they're separated from the life of God. Wow. I mean, they believed God, most of those people. They just didn't want to acknowledge Christ. And and that really makes me think about my own ignorance. Do I really understand who Christ did, who I am in light of that, and whose I am because of him? Think about that for a moment. You and I can't not, there's my double negative English teachers, we can't not live out what we believe. We just live it out. You act and you think what you believe. Again, the litmus test continued. If you're here this morning and you're more concerned about air conditioning or the music, you might be missing out on the purpose just a little bit. Not bad things, but you might be missing out on what it's all about. There was no air conditioning in Jesus' day. I mean, people stood, they crowded in, in the heat. They stood. Pews weren't introduced into the church really until about the 14th century, and even then it was a scandal that we would ever sit in a worship culture. No. If you find yourself here this morning, you're asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to hear today? What do you want me to take away from this today? You're starting to understand what it means, what Paul's talking about when he says, know your calling, called out ones. If you come thinking, who can I serve? Who can I minister to today? Who can I reach out to today? You're probably starting to get what it means to be the church. There was a the church I came from in California. I had the privilege to go back a couple weeks ago. I did a wedding, and they asked if I'd preach at my old church. That's a, that's a good thing when they ask you back. And there was a, a little old lady there by the name of Dottie who had been there uh, when I was there as a pastor, and I knew her well, and when our church was growing and we went to multiple services, poor little Dottie, 86 years old, she went to all of them. And I said, and I was thinking in my mind, I said, does she know that the sermons are different every time? I didn't, and I, I was kind of embarrassed, I didn't want to, but she kept coming week in and week out. She'd go to service, and then the service, and she would just go to all the services. And finally I went up there and said, you know, Dottie, you know, 
I really, I really love you, but I'm not that great. Really, I'm not. And I appreciate that you come, and the sermons are different. And she just looked at me, and she took my hand. She says, dear, I don't come for the message. I come for the people. Dottie caught something, didn't she, about church, that we come here, and we've tried to create a space at Scottsdale Bible Church for you to kind of linger because it's not about your latte or the air-conditioned Discovery Kids. It's about the, the people. And if you're here thinking, God, who have you drawn me to today? Who can I sit with over there? Who can I minister today? You're starting to understand what Paul talked about when he talks about the called ones of the church. If you go home today and you're thinking, how can I add value to my world, my sphere of influence, beginning with my spouse and my, and my children and my neighbors and my coworkers? How can I be like salt to them? You're starting to understand what it means to be the church. You see, we can't avoid it. We're living out our belief systems all the time. The, the Gentiles, they, they got that. They believed that the intellect was the highest form there was. They looked at their bodies like they're just a trap. Their mind was trapped in this, so excused all kinds of behavior they had. All their sinful, selfish behavior. Sorry, just my body trapped in here. The mind in the intellect is the greatest thing. They thought the mind was the solution to their problems when it was the very thing that was the cause of their failures. They believed something. Or they say, have you ever been in that place where you say, I, I believe, but then your actions don't play it out? Let me illustrate that for you a minute. How many of you here have ever been on a high ropes course? Anybody ever done that before? Nobody? When you leave here today, the way out is to go up and across. No, we won't do that to you. But it's where a bunch of crazy people take a rope and they put it 30 feet in the air between two trees and tell you to walk across it. High ropes. It's about team building and trust, they tell me. It's craziness. And then at the end of the, if you make it, if you survive and make it across, there's a little platform 30 feet in the air, and then there's a trapeze they want you to jump to. It's all about team building and trust, they tell me. And it's scary. I would never do this until I saw somebody do it. And you know, it's crazy. I, I thought, that's not trust. That's not team building. You see, they go up this tree uh, on an easy ladder, and they're roped into a harness and a bar. And if they fall, they don't fall at all. I mean, what's, where's the trust in that? So I'd watch people go across going, okay. And then they get to the little platform and they would, they would stand on the platform. They'd jump out to the trapeze. And if they missed, they, it's like they hung in midair because somebody had them on a rope. I'm like, that's not trust. And then they'd lower them gently down to a blush net and all would be good. And they'd come away going, wow, that was awesome. I trust people. I'm like, where's the trust in that? And then I climbed the tree, and I stood on the rope 30 feet above, hooked into the harness, and guess what I did? I froze. <laughs> you see, I believed it. I saw it. I said I believed it, but my actions showed something very, very different. You look at the way Jesus says it in John 5, 39, the passage Jamie was going to look at. He tells the followers, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's true, they believed it. And it is they that bear witness about me. They do. And look what he says in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. How many times do we come to church and we say, I get it. I believe, I believe. And then we're called as Jamie's gonna go to here in the, in the winter time. Are you really gonna be a follower of him? Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know that's what I was signing up for. See, if you believe this life is all there is, if you're one of those people who says, this is it, you're going to just live for pleasure. You'll be a hedonist. You're going to live for you. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow it's all over. So get as much as you can on this time around. At the end of life, the one with the most toys wins, all that. That's you. 
Or maybe you're somebody who's put your faith in, in, in the reality that this country's in moral decline. And if you believe that, and that's what you believe in, that the economy is shot, this is awful, then you're going to be someone who's going to wring your hands in fear and anxiety every day if that's what you believe in. You might say, oh, I believe in this. But I tell you, if the anxiety is going off, when you look at who's in office and what's happening in our economy, economy, you can be concerned, you can pray, and we should, and we ought to. But it tells me something about your belief. Number one, you're like me. I get anxious at times. But I take that to the Lord. See, here's the reality. If you believe and understand the world is in moral decline, we have economic problems, but you really believe this, here's what happens. You live in abundance. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. He didn't say, I came to have life and life and anxiety. Worry about who's in office. Worry about your money and your finances. Oh, your relationships are going to go sideways. It's going to be frustrating. Oh, but it's so good to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? No. He said, this is why I came. Paul called it a peace that passed. He couldn't put a Greek word on it. There's no words. Peace that passes understanding. That's what we have when we really believe this, when we understand our calling, we're called out to this. I'm not saying you're a failure if you don't have those things, but when you feel anxious and you have concern, see it as a red light on the dashboard of your heart to say, I need to attend to these things. I need to think about what Jesus said. I need to practice, that's called faith, the principles that he has given me. I need to surround myself in healthy community to begin to taste that this life is not what it's about, that there's a bigger picture called eternity where Paul could utter the words for me to live as Christ, but to die is actually better because he saw something different. You see, if we don't really understand why we're here, if people don't know God, really know him in a growing, maturing relationship, then your thinking is askew. You can't think properly. If the foundation is messed up, the rest of the building is gonna be askew. Our, we don't think properly, and that affects everything. And the disordered and sinful conduct in this society and in our lives reflects a disordered and sinful mind. How's that, what has it done to us? It's made us doubt. We're immobilized. So many of us are afraid to think, at least to think freely about what is true. We say, we do, I believe this, but just look what happens when we disagree. Not just in society, but even in our church. We get disgruntled. We become hypersensitive, we become so happy, and there's chaos in the world. We all cry hate out there, and something's got to happen, and we forget about what is true and what I need to follow. See, following Christ is about seeking him. When he said, you will find me. In Acts 17, Paul said he's not far away from any one of us. He's right there. And once you find the truth, like the man who found a treasure in a plot of land in Jesus' parable, went and sold everything he had, and he bought the land. That's what we're to do, to boldly and unapologetically live by that belief. And the Bible says you'll experience a freedom that's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card or having a good life. It's a freedom that says, I don't care, and take that the right way, what man can do to me. They may take my body, but they can't take my soul that I'm living for something greater. The one life that I have to live is to be his salt and his light and his peace here, and then I get to have eternity to boot on top of all that. We see the flip side of this all the time. People afraid to believe in any one thing. They adopt that relative truth, try to live a non-offensive lifestyle, and the result is seen all around us. Chaos and fear and certainly doubts. It's good for us to be here for that reason today. 
live in an age that still prides itself on intellectual attainments, but those intellectual attainments, no matter how much we know, no matter how big our megabytes are in our brain, they'll never lead us to salvation. They'll never lead us to eternal life because we lack true spiritual understanding. And so do you know your calling? Do you understand what Paul's talking about when we are called out to live a different life? Do you know the boundaries that we're dealing with? The reason the world has gone off track is that they've moved away from the truth because, as Paul said in in Ephesians 4.18, because of the hardening of their hearts. The King James would say blindness of their hearts, but I think it's better translated in the Greek to be hardened or callous. You see, when you think about blindness, blindness is something that you never did, right? You said, that didn't happen. I I can't take responsibility. I'm just blind. Whereas a hardening of the heart is a decision that you made to move yourself away from Christ, to look at the evidence before you and distance yourself, becoming hardened in your heart. People willfully harden themselves against God. Paul said they become warped in their spiritual understanding. God's old school. The book is 2,000 years old. God is just a cosmic cop, somebody who just wants to mess on everything. Yet isn't it interesting that every person who has Life in them is seeking the same thing. We all want love. We all want value. We want to be loved. We want to have purpose and meaning in our life that Christ actually described in the purpose of his coming to give people abundant life. And the very thing that they desire are the very things that they can only find in God. I mean, it's so bad. Look what Paul said in Romans 1.18. Paul said this. He said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He goes on in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And he goes on, he says, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, Paul said, they became fools. We have to work really hard to step over a Jesus on the cross, to avoid every piece of evidence that is given to us to find ourselves away from God and eternally separated from him in hell. It's really hard. God's revealed himself in the very nature that we have. And in spite of the obvious, our hearts harden because we still choose to reject that truth. And because the rejection is willful, the Bible says that we face justice and people, we see it all the time. And consequently, they become darkened in their intellect and in their moral lives. They've made the one who holds the very keys to their freedom the enemy. That's what we do when our hearts become hardened. They're gonna get what they paid for. Have you ever been scammed before? Have you ever been like, bought something and like, boy, I got what I paid for? I'm that way. I got to be honest with, with you this morning. I, I'm a Scotsman, 100%. Some of you know that. And uh, my family's from Scott. What my dad passed on to me was that cheap is good, right? Thank you, dad. Free is better. See, that's a Scottish thing, right? Cheap is good, but free is better. That's what we say. And so all around my house, if it wasn't for my beautiful wife bringing things everything would just be cheap and broken in our house. I see a sale, I'm like, this is awesome. I remember seeing a wheelbarrow once. It was beautiful, like orange, nice painted wheelbarrow, had nice wooden handles, and it was cheap. It was on sale. 
Only problem was I couldn't carry anything. Every time I put something in it, the handles would break off. Seriously, they wouldn't break. The wheel would become detached. I'm like, what's the purpose of this? You get what you pay for. I, I bought a rake one time that was on sale, and all it did was push the grass around. At least the piles were gone, and my wife could see, oh, it looks like you kind of, no, you didn't. Just move the grass around. I remember um, having an ax that I loved chopping wood when we burned wood for heat, and this ax, every third chop, the head would come off, and I had to hammer it back on. It's a true story. People would laugh at me, but hey, it was cheap. I got what I paid for. I saw my friend, my neighbor Jonathan, was uh, doing some remodeling in his house, and he's throwing away a perfectly good kitchen faucet. And I'm like, what are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm going to throw it away. I said, can I have it? Sure. It wasn't cheap. It was free. Free is better. So I spent the better part of the day taking this wonderful kitchen faucet and placing it in our kitchen. My wife came home and said, wow, that's beautiful, until she turned the water on. True story. It leaked. You get what you pay for. And the list goes on. I got a lot of good deals, but I got what I paid for, and my pride keeps me using them. And isn't it funny? We buy into a godless worldview. We get what we paid for, and our pride keeps us there. Look at the last few verses in the last few minutes we have in Ephesians 4, verses 5, verses 20 to 24. Paul says this. That's not the way you learned Christ. We're in a battle, we're in a fight, putting off that old nature, but uh, he said, that's not the way you learn Christ, uh, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And here it was, to put off your old self. That's in the Greek, an ongoing thing that we continue to do, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul then goes on, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and here's the next thing, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. Do you know the calling that you've got? And then here Paul articulates, there's some boundary lines here. Put off that old. Move away from that and take on the new. Maybe a dividing line might be a better way to describe that. You know, most of our calendars, at least in Western culture, are divided into B.C. What is that B.C.? Before Christ, right? And, and then A.D., Anno Domine, year of our Lord. Boy, it's going to be pretty hard in our morally declining culture to get God out of all that, isn't it? We're going to have to change our whole calendar. We're going to have to change all of our currency. And God, we trust all the crosses on federal property, all of the Ten Commandments written everywhere throughout. It's going to be hard to not admit that Christianity is at the very core of our being. But what do I mean by that? B.C. and A.D., we all have a before Christ story, don't we? And Christ becomes the dividing line, the boundary marker, where we met him, encountered a living God who entered into our life the spirit of that living God begins to transform and change our lives. We know where we recognize our motivation is because of what he has done. Therefore, I live or strive to live a holy life in this fallen world that I'm in. And Christ is the dividing line in all of that. No knowledge can help us attain it. No working hard can help us get salvation. Just an encounter with Jesus Christ. And we begin to live our lives. Every one of us, a B.C., and an 80. How, how is Christ that dividing line? I think to make it real clear, it's a div like the dividing line between God and atheism, isn't it? Francis Schaeffer said that there is a God and he is not silent. And if there's a God and that he exists, then, and we can know he exists, and if everything flows from that premise, the Bible even begins in the beginning God, then it assumes a plan. And if there's a, a plan, there must be a planner. 
And we need to follow what the planner has given us. It's a dividing line between the planner and accident. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel insulted if we look around this world and say, well, this all happened just by chance. I know it's more scientific and complex by that, but the bottom line, at the end of the day, do I want to hook my anchor up to chance? Do I want to stand before my friends that I am building my life on chance? What is that all about? If there's all chance, then life has no meaning. Nothing. I mean, this world has, yes, you have no meaning. And so how I treat you is completely irrelevant because there's no meaning. There's chance. Is that where you want to go? Do you see where this, this ends up? People don't want to admit that. See, because they are made in the image of God and somewhere in all of their souls, they sense that there's got to be something greater. There's got to be something more meaningful. And Paul screams it in Ephesians throughout his word that Jesus gives us meaning. Otherwise, eat, drink, and be merry like many of us are doing. And we have empty lives to show for. Is that you this morning? You're in the right place. You've come for the right reason. He's a dividing line between truth and ignorance. See, without the knowledge of truth, real truth, not just relative truth, we can't know anything for sure. Even the Greeks, you remember in Acts 17, all these philosophers of, of history that were amazing, they, they built all these altars in Athens, but they had one to, in Acts 17, 23, to an unknown God because we're not sure. The greatest philosophers, the greatest minds of our time were uncertain. And yet I've never met a person who is a sold-out follower of God. I've met lots of half-hearted followers. I battle that every day. Sold out, all in, who says, I surrender God to your word. I've never met a person whose life is not filled with some kind of abundance. Not perfection, not denying pain, but a sense of purpose and an under-guiding sense of joy that there is something more in this life. Jesus is a dividing line between truth and ignorance. He's a dividing line between life and oblivion. What, what do I mean by that? We love to avoid the conversation of death, don't we? You know, one of my roles here at Scottsdale Bible Church is to come alongside families who are experiencing death, and it's the one constant in our culture that every one of us is going to face that. Very, very hard um, to go through, but we'd rather deny it isn't it fun? The very thing that we're all going to face, we would rather pretend it doesn't happen. I think people fear death for a couple of reasons. Number one, they don't know what's on the other side. So let's be blissfully ignorant the rest of our time. Or deep down, their soul acknowledges a possibility that there is a God. And if that's true, then they know or they worry that they've probably offended him. And that on the other side of that door, there's going to be an accounting. So it's easier. Less scary, just to hope for oblivion. Hope that we just stop and we cease to exist. And that's as deep as our thoughts go with that. But Jesus is a dividing line. He promises us life for this life and the one to come. And lastly, it's a dividing line between blessing and cursing. You know, some of us think I got my ticket punched. I made a decision for Jesus back in 1972 and I'm just waiting for heaven. No, God wanted your life now to be a blessing. The dividing line, if we reject all of that, is a life of all of the things in the Bible, basically a life of curse, hopelessness, eternity apart from God, a life that's meaningless, a life that has no purpose whatsoever, no fulfillment, no possibility of that until we cross the line and we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. See, we're created to make a difference with the one life that we have. Do you have a B.C., A.D. 
story? Do you have a line? Do you know why you came here this morning? Do you understand what our, our purpose is? And it's a journey, and we're in it together, and we invite you to walk with us. Knowing the calling we've been given and the boundaries that we operate in or that line that God has given us, putting off the old, taking on the new, will enable us to live in confidence and allow our lives to be the light that God intended. Welcome to church. Understand why you are here and be the church with us. And as we leave here today, to pray that God, by his grace and mercy, would use my one life to hopefully be the light that brings someone else from B.C. to A.D. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you, Lord, that these words give us hope and they give us life. We thank you that your truth transforms us. We thank you that you are a forgiving God, that no matter what is going on in our lives, you're a God who redeems and renews and restores and refreshes, helps us re-engage in life with purpose, that you have got work for us that, that are uniquely for us to do. So, Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to walk in the strength of that great truth, that you would use us. And we praise you, that you glorify yourself, and we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the cafe.